And now I will introduce today's program. There has been much written and debated about the recent conflict in Gaza. Sides have been taken, blame has been assigned and reassigned, and opinions on where this will all lead are all over the map. All observers can agree on one thing, however. The civilian population of the region is caught in the middle of this strife and has suffered the most. Throughout history, members of the medical profession have followed the Hippocratic Oath, which includes, as one of its central tenets, do no harm. For doctors and other members of the medical profession, armed conflict poses additional challenges and obligations well beyond what was contemplated in the Hippocratic Oath. For these professionals who are part of Canada's international, the Canada International Scientific Exchange Program, they believe that they have a duty to deliver health in conflict situations and that they can make a real difference. Health can be a neutral and a necessary intervention that brings conflicting parties together. And health workers are ideally placed to achieve peaceful and durable solutions because their interests are not political but professional, not adversarial but cooperative. In 1995, the late King Hussein of Jordan invited officials from the Canada International Scientific Exchange Program to foster better collaboration between Arab and Israeli doctors. And the answer to that was SizePol, which has provided an essential Canadian umbrella to develop successful cross-border health projects in the Middle East. The success of this effort is best captured in the words of each country's representatives. The Jordanian ambassador, Nabil Barto, writes, this is a truly rare and valuable component to building peace and understanding among all cultures. The Israeli Consul General, Amir Gisan, who joins us today, applauds the people-to-people -people cooperative projects in the health sector that enable all those in the region to move beyond our long-standing tensions and suspicions and to see the other as decent human beings and partners for peace. And Ziad Abdin, Palestinian Program Director for SISPO and a faculty member there, affirms that the merit and the relevance of our scientific achievements and academic commitment is strong and must endure across borders, faiths, and cultures. There is no other way ahead. Our guest speaker today will tell us about the work being done in the Middle East by SISPO at this critical time. And it will also show us how the Toronto business community can join in this great enterprise of promoting Arab and Israeli cooperation through health initiatives. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to the founder of SISPO and a man of many other distinctions, Dr. Arnold Nwayak. Thank you for that introduction. And I'd also just like to thank each and every one of you for your interest in coming out today and uh, your warm spirit in uh, the understanding of what our team is trying to do here as Canadians. And I think that uh, this kind of uh, community showing uh, is so typical of what we, uh, we want to sustain. It, 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 it makes all of us who are embedded on the front lines work harder. So thank you for that. And I hope as uh, as you've just heard from Helen, that you will find ways to join in whatever way you can. So as a physician, I want to begin by acknowledging the recent suffering of ordinary people in Gaza and in the terror of ordinary people in southern Israel. 
Speaking for the SISPO network of peaceful professional cooperation, which stretches from Canada to the Middle East, I want to share with you the secret of success to the educational bridge I'm about to describe, health as a bridge to peace, bridging the Arab and Israeli frontier, building essential trust and confidence in a region in conflict. Our mission is to build capacity through Canadian, Israeli, Jordanian, and Palestinian international durable partnerships and relationships under a Canadian umbrella, using an academic setting, and achieving multilateral, cooperative, needs-based health projects on the ground in the Middle East. And while we're sensitive to and impacted on by the external political environment swirling about us, SISPO owes its success to the fact that we're not political or crisis relief in nature. We operate uniquely above the fray across borders, faiths, and cultures in the health sector as a unique network of sustainable, peaceful, professional cooperation operating as effectively today as we have continuously for 14 years. Back to Gaza for a moment. As an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, I've been there many times with our team where we focused on bettering the lives of deaf children. Gaza is often a place of despair and darkness. For us, it's also a place of hope. It's a place of hope because there's a school for several hundred deaf children there, which has been in existence for many years. I was there in 1997 at a conference warmly hosted by our Palestinian colleagues in the heart of Gaza. It was the first ever visit by Israeli academic and medical practitioners to the first ever workshop in Gaza sponsored by SISPO and the University of Toronto to address the early diagnosis and treatment of deaf children. This school speaks to the good works that Arabs and Israelis, Christians, Jews, and Muslims can do together and that we continue to do together even through these trying times. Childhood deafness and hearing impairment is a critical public health issue in the Middle East on which Arabs and Israelis can and have put differences aside to work together. In doing so, they're helping to build the foundations of the bridge to peace I want to talk about today. Gaza aside, many of you are wondering what a doctor could possibly say that's relevant to business leaders and executives, particularly in the midst of the current economic and financial storm here in Canada and around the world. So the first thing I want to do today is connect the dots between medicine and health and the wealth of nations. Here's a fact I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Wealth is a major determinant of health. Study after study has shown, generally speaking, the wealthier a society, the healthier it is. And here's another fact. Aside from the obscenity that wars kill and maim people, wars cost a lot of money. Money that might otherwise be spent making people healthier and helping them to live healthier lives. So the very practical ideas that my colleagues and I have been pursuing for many years now with some success is that health-based continued education and professional development between Canada and the Middle East can help build bridges to peace. We've been building knowledge-sharing networks, promoting peaceful professional cooperation between communities that are in political conflict and encouraging genuine grassroots people-to-people -people relationships across political, economic, and religious frontiers. Our goals are not only medical, they are socially responsible and they start on the ground as practical cooperative projects, particularly with those in conflict. The, word we do, the work we do gives very positive meaning to the term medical politics. Let me put it this way. We're harnessing academic theory and medical relationships for three very practical purposes. To turn war into peace, to turn despair into hope, and to turn poverty into wealth. We're taking that ivory tower of academia and we're turning it on its side and making it a vital bridge to peace, prosperity, and better health in some of the world's most troubled places. 
We believe that sharing health expertise, techniques, and knowledge can be a bridge to peace. We believe that a bridge to peace is not a bridge too far. So my purpose in being here today is to incite you and invite you to join us by helping to continue building that bridge because business leaders can and should play a pivotal role on the journey across that bridge to help make life better for others. Those in need would be most grateful for your interest, support, and active participation. Moving beyond health, engaging other professionals, business people, and the corporation they serve. There are tangible and intangible benefits to involvement. These benefits are social, political, and economic. Benefits like helping peace building in the Middle East. Benefits such as helping to reduce poverty. Benefits that position Canada as a force for good on the world stage, supporting Canadian foreign policy, addressing health care needs and academic requirements. Benefits like ultimately helping to build a model for developing global relationships. SISPO has a long history of walking the talk transforming the Arab and Israeli divide into a frontier. We began our founding activities with Israel in 1972, and we began our activities with the Arab world in 1982. His Majesty, the late King of St. of Jordan, invited us to bring Arabs and Israelis together in 1995 in health initiatives in support of the newly signed Jordan-Israel Peace Treaty. Since then, as SISPO and Canadians, we've become respected, honest brokers on the Middle East and international scene in the health sector. Now, you've heard of journalists being embedded with armies on the front lines of battle. Well, we're embedded in the front lines of peace building. Our day jobs are embedded and integrated into the international activities and outreach of our lead hospitals and into the courses taught at medical schools, both in Canada and abroad. As the students grow and learn, we provide a support network of like-minded academics and practitioners cultivating continued professional development and educational opportunities as teachers and leaders. We rely on the academic sector to provide our capacity building and services on a volunteer basis. Our volunteers include doctors, nurses, scientists, public health practitioners, audiologists and speech-language pathologists, allied health professionals, faculty, students, deans, and heads of departments at hospitals and universities across Canada and in the Middle East. Now, we live in a simple budget of less than 400000 per year for the past 14 years. About a third of that comes from private donors, another third from foundations, and a third from government. The good we managed to extract from this humble base is remarkable and is detailed in the handouts at your places that I hope you'll take with you because it has our contact points and we'd love to hear from you. As a registered charity, we seek funding from private donors, foundation grants, and government to sustain a cooperative knowledge-sharing network across borders, faiths, and cultures in areas of conflict. We wish to publicly acknowledge the core commitment of the Solly Silver Family Foundation that has stood with and supported us through thick and thin. They supplied core funding from our first steps since the early 1970s that gave rise to SISPO and its mission. They supported the subsequent creation of the Peter A. Sullivan Center for International Health at Mount Sinai Hospital in 2001, and soon to be at Baycrest as well, to provide a domestic base for SISPO. This ultimately enabled our successful current positioning as Canadians and for Canada on the Middle East and international stage. We work at the most difficult of fault lines on the international stage, and we count on the courage of our moderate partners to step up and support us. But we don't need to tell you that fundraising is tough, particularly in the current economic circumstances. But it's worth it, because over the past 14 years of cross-border education, research, and service work, we've brought together more than 2,500 Arabs and Israelis. We've held more than 50 key conferences and workshops. We've implemented international video teleconferencing on a regularized basis between Canada and Israeli, Jordanian, Palestinian partners in the Middle East, and implemented dozens of remarkable, impactful health projects, 
all leading to relationship building and ultimately building trust and confidence. And we effectively touch people on the ground and communities broadly through strategic partnerships with organizations such as Rotary. At this point, I'd like to acknowledge all academic colleagues, students, and others who have provided tremendous impetus and leadership for our work. First, we must recognize all our CISPO partners in the Middle East, Israelis, Jordanians, and Palestinians, who excel in health and science and who, with their institutions, have the courage to cooperate in this daring and productive program. I also want to acknowledge the medical students, residents, fellows, and trainees in Canada and across the Arab and Israel frontier. They are our future. We're also indebted to the flexible and forward-looking leadership of our universities, medical schools, and hospitals. They give us the base to go forward. They provide the essential autonomy and freedom of action that is necessary for our work beyond the confines of our medical schools and hospitals. They also give us the creative opportunities to produce, with our Canadian signature, the exciting, innovative work we do. I'd like to thank many individuals here today who have contributed through the years. I also acknowledge, with their institutional teams, Joseph Mapper, President and CEO of Mount Sinai Hospital, Catherine Whiteside, Dean of Medicine, Faculty of Medicine, University of Toronto, Ivan Silver and his predecessor, Dave Davis, Vice Deans of Continuing Education, two decades of solid support, William Reichman, President and CEO of Baycrest, Harvey Skinner, Dean of Health, York University and SISBO Chair, and I'd also like to recognize Abby Sreeharan, Deputy Director of the Peter A. Silman Center for International Health, and its heart and soul, she's a great leader in international medical education. And Tim Patterson, SISPO Vice Chair and a world-recognized leader and innovator in the field of interactive medical video teleconferencing, or as we call it, eHealth. Tim has pioneered eHealth for Canada on the world stage for three decades. We've managed to survive all these years because of the relevance and merit of, the, of what we do as evaluated by others, such as the article in your handout from The Lancet. Most importantly, in the academic and scientific literature by our peers, through occasional media attention, and a variety of international awards. Now, I've spoken in general terms about what we do. Now I want to give you briefly three specific examples. The first is an example of the work that we do abroad. Example one, we're helping fix kids in the Middle East who are born with serious hearing problems. When I was otolaryngologist and chief at Mount Sinai Hospital, our department and our otologic function unit was involved in developing screening methods for newborns with hearing problems, identifying them and fixing them and establishing public policy. If you can find deaf infants and fix their handicap through hearing aids or cochlear implant surgery prior to the age of two, they can advance normally in the school system and achieve a full education. If the process is delayed, a deaf child has only a 60% chance of the earning capacity of a normal hearing or effectively habilitated child. Every baby in Ontario is now screened for deafness as early as 48 hours after birth, and we've translated that success into the context of a serious public health issue on the ground in the Middle East, with the backing of the Government of Canada through CETA, the Canadian International Development Agency, helping to equip genetically deaf kids for life and touching the lives of families and community through Canadian concern and expertise. In 1972, I began developing educational training programs for Israeli medical schools. And in 1982, I began a similar series of programs for medical schools in the Arab world. During the course of our continuing education programs in Tel Aviv, Nablus, Amman, Jerusalem, Gaza, we discovered a major need in the Middle East related to genetics, particularly the genetics of hereditary and familial hearing loss that is up to 10 times more prevalent than in North America. 
This is due to consanguineous marriages, marriages at the level of first cousins, a common cultural occurrence in the Arab world and across borders among Arab Israelis, some Jewish populations, and the Bedouin. This became our cross-border common ground, and we went on to cultivate it through workshops and conferences and agreements, and eventually the development of the Middle East Association for Managing Hearing Loss, the first and only professional association among Arabs and Israelis brokered by SISPO. We carried out combined screening programs for deaf infants among Israeli, Jordanian, and Palestinian newborns with great success. We've now screened a total of 180,000 newborns and rehabilitated them through hearing aids and cochlear implant surgery. The national program in Jordan was turned over to the Jordanian Ministry of Health as a great Canadian success story in 2006. We're continuing this cooperative work in other parts of the Middle East, focusing on Israeli-Palestinian cooperation. And over the past seven years, for example, we've helped establish screening for genetic deafness for over 50,000 newborns in Qatar. All this work is a great Canadian signature because it is modeled, as I said, on the Universal Newborn Hearing Screening Program developed here in the province of Ontario. The aim of the program is to identify deaf infants at 48 hours after birth, fix their hearing, and thus equip them for life with normal education opportunities. The second example is of our work here in Canada. Example two, we're encouraging multilateral professional exchanges using Canada as the meeting place and training ground. Summer student exchanges in pediatric emergency medicine bring together senior medical students from Canada, Israel, Jordan, and Palestine. We just completed our fifth year of such programming based at SickKids and Mount Sinai Hospital and other hospitals throughout Toronto. This builds cooperation networks and care among Canadian, Israeli, Jordanian, and Palestinian medical schools and develops young professional leadership. It's amazing and uplifting to see these medical students living together, cooking together, camping out together, learning conflict resolution together, studying together, and then going back to their own countries to carry out joint cross-border research programs together, thus continuing to provide leadership to other medical students and acting as models for young professional development. It's a gift that keeps on giving because we've enabled the students to stay in contact with each other and maintain joint research and relationships, thus realizing the dream of cross-border young professional cooperation. The third example of our work is through technology. Example three, we're helping spread the use of e-health, electronic health, through video teleconferencing, medical rounds, and knowledge exchanges. We began this e-health program in 2005 as a pilot project linking Canadian hospitals and other international centers with our core network in the Middle East, Africa, and the World Health Organization in Geneva. It's an excellent educational tool featuring highly interactive knowledge sharing through medical rounds. It operates on a regular basis, building relationships and addressing medical problems with joint problem solving. The pilot project is based at Baycrest here in Toronto and has pioneered unique relationships and programs. Our core work has been in the field of behavioral neurology, dealing with brain health and aging, and has captured the attention of the federal government, international foundations, and many countries worldwide. This is another Canadian signature piece with a pioneering record of achievement and sustainability. Those are just three examples of the kinds of vital work that we're doing. A few minutes ago, I said there were economic benefits as well as social and political benefits to what we do. The fact is that some of the international programs generate profitable commercial opportunities. Profit is not a bad word, especially when profits can help sustain our not-for-profit charitable programs. And that's why we're in the business of helping develop and manufacture solar-powered hearing aids and solar-powered battery chargers, because hearing aids and hearing aid batteries are a financial burden for the deaf poor. 
We call the project Lotus here. It's green-friendly and advances marginalized populations through economic development and by creating work for the poor and handicapped. We call this model a house with two rooms, a for-profit room financially sustaining the international development work of the not-for-profit room. The product was successfully developed and trialed through our team in Botswana, cultivated further in Brazil by our Ashoka fellow, Howard Weinstein, who began the enterprise in Africa and now driven by business through American CISPO colleagues. The essential product, a solar-powered hearing aid, returns us to our core mission of rehabilitating the deaf. The Lotus Ear hearing aids will be made by deaf workers with plants in the West Bank and Jordan and with Israeli assistance. In closing, I want to say what a unique opportunity this has been for me. I don't often get to speak from a business platform. Usually when I speak, I look out and see students taking clinical notes, but I'm delighted to see U of T medical students here today because they're involved and socially responsible. Don't worry, there's no short quiz after this class, but I'll happily handle your questions. But I do hope you take away with you at least some of the enthusiasm my colleagues and I have for the work we do and for its very practical goals to turn war into peace, to turn despair into hope, to turn poverty into wealth. During this time of economic uncertainty, it's even more important that our friends in the business community understand the benefits of supporting a truly transnational and international development project like CISPO. We're using health as a common language and a common goal to build positive relationships and provide Canadians with an opportunity to shine in the worlds of medicine, technology, international relations, and even commerce. Canadians are leading players in this effort to establish a global network of knowledge, research, and cooperation, uniting moderates across borders and improving health in very practical ways. We know because we are helping to build this bridge. And this is where you come, can come in and spread the word. The bridge must engage the business world in Canada and beyond. The bridge must be widened to handle traffic and trade and commerce and more. Private and corporate support must at the same time broaden community building efforts here in Canada. Such cooperation demonstrates that there's more that unites us than divides us wherever we live and that people of goodwill can counter the destructiveness of political and religious division through good works. We believe that sharing health expertise, techniques and knowledge can be a bridge to peace. We believe that a bridge to peace is not a bridge too far. I hope you agree. Thank you for your time. Dr. Nwak, thank you. And I have a couple of questions to start for you, and more will be coming in shortly. First of all, how do you manage to stay above politics? How do you, uh, in other words, how do you sustain relationships in a politically volatile environment such as what you're working in? Well, there's actually several keys to that. Uh, the first key, as I mentioned with the example of uh, uh, translating a health policy in Ontario into a health policy in Jordan and, in fact, engaging in, with a peace dividend, the Palestinian-Israeli uh, components to that program. When you can institutionalize something into the fabric of society so that every baby born is tested and rehabilitated when required, that's, that's powerful. And when uh, a mother from one side of the divide sees that her child is now going to advance because of the assistance of someone with whom they would never meet or talk or who they've never thought about as, as possibly a friend, that's a powerful message. So that's institutionalizing 
public policy. But we've also done something here which is very important, as you can tell from the medical students here, and that we've, we've tried to institutionalize or embed what we do into the curriculum of the medical schools here and in the Middle East. So electives, uh, such as the International Pediatric Emergency Elective, are officially sponsored. Uh, Israeli, Jordanian, and Palestinian students from all the universities compete to attend those uh, uh, electives by submitting essays and being interviewed. I don't have to tell you, it's not so many years ago that we had a tough time working our way through the universities because of extremists and so on, but we've managed to overcome that. So in embedding ourselves into the curriculum of, of formal electives, and, and those are just some examples, uh, uh, there's many others on an individual basis. We have our first hybrid fellowship funded by Jordan University of Science and Technology, spending six months here in Canada and then six months at Tel Aviv University. So linking Tel Aviv University, Jordan University of Science and Technology, uh, University of Toronto, all in a very official way. Now we have many examples of this kind of embedding. And once you do that, once you, 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 you make it the new normal to be part of the fabric of, of institutions, that makes a difference. But there's something else. When we started this, what, what jumped out at me in particular was that as physicians, we, we, we adhere to uh, uh, credos such as the oath of Hippocrates or the teachings of Maimonides, that in the sufferer we see just the patient. It doesn't matter race, color, religion, creed. So it struck us that if we have this physician mantra that we care for all comers regardless, then we should care for all comers as a collective. And that's ultimately what enables us to to, to merge all these things together and stay above the politics. And the, finally, the fourth thing is we have the understanding of everybody in the network that anyone may have their own political view, but because we're socially responsible and we have our eye on a long-term goal, politics, which are just passing sound bites of the day, are not going to disrupt us. It's a bit of a long answer, but it's an excellent question, and I think it cuts right to the core of what we do and why is a Canadian enterprise it's so critical. Thank you. Um, Another question. You have mentioned mostly Israeli, Jordanian, and Palestinian conflicts. Do you see your efforts spreading to other areas of conflict, particularly Darfur and the region of Africa? That, too, is a good question. I can tell you from the uh, literature that for the past nine years, our model has now been used in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and that was published in The Lancet as well. Um, so yes, the model uh, does act. When we, we, we have intentions of engaging further in Africa and elsewhere, and this model is very much uh, a key to building partnership. It can work bilaterally and it can work multilaterally. So uh, the short answer to that is if you have goodwill people and if you have expertise to share, anything is possible. I think it's very important to recognize that in these knowledge-sharing experiences, they're not patronizing. There's nothing top-down. Everything is about equity, and that's why, as Canadians, we're very acceptable on the international scene. So I hope that answers that question. Okay, thank you. Uh, another question from Sai Landau. How widespread is the knowledge of the cooperative aspect of this project among the people in the Middle East? It's certainly well-known amongst the universities and the ministries, and it's well known amongst the lives of the people who have been touched. We've made it a point to never go out uh, seeking press. Uh, we felt that uh, if that's simply 
being done gratuitously. It, it doesn't achieve purpose. We felt that we must build solid foundations. So if people hear about us uh, at a gathering such as this, this is fine. This is kind of a, a coming out for us uh, to try to engage the business world. But generally, all the work we've done through the years, we've, we've tried to let action speak for our words and to make sure we have enough critical mass that we're credible uh, when we're judged by others. What opportunities are there for Canadian medical students to become involved in international research and or clinical cooperative programs during the summer months? Well, I think that's a very natural uh, possibility. And, and because of the nature of the school experience with students and mentors, uh, I would say the, um, that there are unlimited horizons. The fact that we have medical students here today and the fact that we have faculty at various medical schools who are committed to, I mean, their lives are based around uh, encouraging the professional development of young people. I think the best thing you can do is be in touch with us, and we'll talk about it. I will, since it's a question from medical school uh, students, one of the things I will be doing is with uh, colleagues uh, Harvey Skinner and uh, Nosheen Mirza, who's the founding president of Health as a Bridge to Peace Club at York University, be meeting with the medical students at University of Toronto, and this will be exactly the kind of thing we'll be discussing. Okay. How do you see the business community engaging in practical ways to widening the bridge to peace? Well, that's a great question. And we have in our uh, audience today Mark Persaud, who uh, uh, has stepped up for the community. He is the, uh, the CEO of the uh, Canadian International Peace Project. And one of the things that, and that's a transnational project that touches all communities. They've just done a, an interesting project between uh, involving the Jewish community here and uh, Somalia. They're very interested in our work as they start to reach out internationally, and Mark and his organization have committed to support a project on our hearing loss side, our next project going forward, which uh, uh, we are now in the process of framing and about to start its implementation, will be dealing with deaf kids, Israeli, Jordanian, and Palestinian, who have something called central, central auditory processing disorder. It's part of the developmental disorder spectrum of children. And in so doing, we are going to start to work our way beyond health into the educational systems. So there, that's an example of how people can engage. And being academics and creative, at least we think we are, we're open to anything. Uh, these are all great opportunities. We just have to dream them and uh, they'll happen. Okay. What role does the United Nations, the UN, play, or could it play, in achieving uh, the goals of SISPO? Well, <laughs> um, I, I think what we have in our, first of all, when we look at the fundamentals of politics, when you get large groups of people together, it's simply a matter of math and numbers, and you get divisiveness. The beauty of our core partnership with Canadians and Americans, we now have something formulated called American SISPO, which began three and a half years ago in the United States, and our core group of players, Israeli, Jordanian, Palestinian, Palestinian it's manageable and it's regional, and it can act as a model. Now, we mentioned video teleconferencing in which the WHO has been engaged. That is a UN agency in which we expect to have greater involvement. Um, we're very sensitive to the activities of the United Nations and so on, but uh, I would rather see us, as I'm sure my colleagues would, in a position where the United Nations and those who 
see the future through brighter eyes or were coming to ask us uh, what we could do that might be of value rather than pitching ourselves to them. How do you see yourselves in relation to or how are you different from organizations such as Médecins Sans Frontières? Oh, that's a good question too. Um, Médecins Sans Frontières is a huge organization. Uh, they certainly uh, uh, beat us going to the bank, that's for sure. Um, Médecins Sans Frontières deals with crisis management um, and humanitarian relief. We're, we're not that at all. There are great agencies doing that kind of work, responding to tsunamis and things like that. Uh, we are of a different stripe. Our commitment is to long-term relationship building, building projects that will be meaningful, that will turn into bigger things and become models. Uh, we're very intent not to come down politically on one side or another, and that's why we use the expression that we've turned the divide into a frontier. So while we laud the works of uh, um, humanitarian relief agencies, uh, such as Médecins Sans Frontier, and there are many great ones, uh, we're very distinct. We have this Canadian umbrella, it's an academic setting, and we're multilateral in projects that we do. So that's the fundamental difference. One last question. How do you maintain your own sense of hopefulness in the face of such expansive medical need and the ongoing humanitarian crisis in the Middle East? Well, we've been at this for a lot of years, and uh, as Harvey Skinner likes to say, uh, anybody can play when the sun comes out. We like to think that uh, we can play when the ball is slippery and move it up the field. And you have to be very patient if you're going to fish in these waters. We may not see the changes we want in our lifetime, but as academics, I'm greatly encouraged that everyone in our network has the same sense of longevity, making contribution. Whether we see these things in our lifetime, I don't know, but it has to start. There has to be a way forward. We have to find ways to, uh, to make the world more meaningful. So I think we keep our optimism because every time we see a small success and the successes are constant, we have some setbacks in that we have to shift gears and change tack, but we always achieve our objectives, except uh, sometimes the time span for us widens, uh, but we keep our eye on the ball and the very fact that we've had the kinds of success that we have continually, that we're durable over 14 years and uh, the government marks uh, sustainability in an international enterprise as four years, so that will give you some idea. We've been through a couple of intifadas, we've been through terrorists and bombings and all that sort of stuff and it's all doable. The people have tremendous courage, tremendous capacity, and it's a hugely important fault line for us as Canadians. If there were some sort of stability in the Middle East, it would benefit everyone. And I, I would just conclude by saying that there's no war that didn't end, even the Hundred Years' War. Uh, eventually things will come to a halt. And what the late King Hussein was so clever about was he recognized that with the peace treaty that he had between Jordan and Israel, or the Egyptian-Israeli treaty, that if you don't have underpinning activities, people don't see it making a difference and they, they rail against it. You actually have to have stuff on the ground and that's what we're trying to accomplish here. So I hope I've answered your questions and, and those that were submitted, they're all excellent questions and I hope I've piqued your interest. Thank you very much.
Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nwai. I'm, I'm going to ask John Cape, a director of the Canadian Club of Toronto, to thank Dr. Nwayak officially. Dr. Nwayak, thank you for <clears throat> joining us today and giving us a fresh perspective on a path to peace in what was uh, surely been one of the most long-standing and, and critical conflicts in the world. Uh, we all know that the real and lasting victories are those of peace and not of war. There is enough misfortune and pain in the world without wars to multiply them. Resolution of the age-old conflicts in the Middle East can be only temporary unless Israelis, Palestinians, and the rest of the world work together to replace ongoing conflicts with a durable peace. In the words of the late Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, quote, peace will be built slowly, day by day, through modest deeds and countless spontaneous details, end of quote. Peace will not be achieved overnight, nor can it come without the assistance of the international community. This is why the work being done by members of the medical profession through the Canada International Scientific Exchange Program is so very vital. Dr. Noyak, thank you. Thank you for sharing this important work with us today and for continuing to build the bridge, bridge to Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you again, Dr. Nwayak. And thank you to all of you for joining us here today. This program has been broadcast live on Rogers TV and will be rebroadcast. We thank you again for your attention. This meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>